become a famous actor who is a miserable human being. Believe me, you don't. You don't want that. Become a happy person. Enjoy your life and it will bleed into your work and you will shine. Welcome to this week's episode of Dear Actor Podcast, the podcast in which film industry professionals share their stories, mistakes, successes, and advice they would have told themselves. As always, I am your host and fellow actor, Sage May. Before I introduce our guest, here's a quick word from our sponsor. We're sponsored by the place I got all of my business of acting knowledge, the Hollywood Winner's Circle. I cannot stress this enough. If you're an actor who's just starting out or even got a little bit lost along the way, like I did, the Hollywood Winner's Circle led by Hollywood talent manager Wendy Aline Wright is the best thing you can do for your career. It provides a roadmap and explains everything you'll need to do to become an actor. Now our guest this week is an actress, and if you're a female identifying actor, this episode is for you. She has over 90 IMDb credits, and you'd know her from Weeds, NCIS, Ray Donovan, Parks and Rec, and more. Her first credit was the freaking Star Trek TV show, like she is cool as hell. She is also an acting coach. The story of how she got where she is is incredible, and all the things she's dealt with as a woman in Hollywood is so inspiring. I think this is definitely one of the most powerful episodes for any actor, so please welcome Stephanie Erb. Hi Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Hi there Sage, thank you for having me. Of course, we've been trying to plan this forever, but life kept getting in the damn way. It sure did. <laughs> it sure did. Um, so I'd love to hear if you're working on anything you can talk about right now. Well, you know, here's the interesting thing about the age of streaming and cable and everything is nobody wants anybody to know anything until it <laughs> airs. Yeah. So I can say, because it's on IMDb, that I am on the upcoming Prime show uh, based on the movie League of Their Own, uh, which is a new kind of twist on it with a, a slant on the LGBTQ world that existed back then, but they were forced to keep it quiet you know, it was not something you could come out easily with and still keep your job on the baseball team. Um, you know, it's so funny because after I shoot stuff, I forget. I did something <laughs> on the new Ryan Murphy, Jeffrey Dahmer uh, series that's going to be on Netflix. I, I have a role that was on the old Bosch series and now there's a new spinoff and my character returns. She has a slightly different job but she comes back. Um, and I did an NCIS Los Angeles that already aired. Uh, but you know, it's so weird because some things you shoot them and they show up a year and a half later and some things are like the NCIS, that show is fast. You shoot it, it's on the air a couple weeks later almost, or at least it feels that way. So that's sort of what I'm up to. I uh, did a movie early on in the fall or late summer I don't know when that's going to air, and it's called Lola James. Um, that's about it for now. I'm just, you know, just finished a play, which got amazing reviews and was good for the soul because theater tends to, you know, connect you with your audience and your fellow actors and your crew people and everybody that you learn to treat as family. So that was really good. I'm, I'm actually in the post-show blues world oh. right now because it just ended on sunday 
I get that. You're like, where is it? No, I get it. <laughs> you have the career I want because I want to do things and be like, wait, what did I do? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I mean, I think if you just don't give up and you keep <laughs> working, you will get to the point where you, I mean, I look at IMDb and I go, I totally forgot that I did that show. Yeah. You know, you remember highlights and lowlights, but yeah. all the stuff where it was a lot of times, it's just, I did this because I needed a job. You know, it wasn't like my dream role, nor was it uh, embarrassing, but it was just something I did, you know? So <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you just have to be persistent and you'll get to that point. You know, I'm still waiting for my big break. I know that sounds weird, but I kind of am because people know that I can deliver a good performance, but it is all about being in the public eye in a different level and we're all just climbing up this little actor ladder and I'm waiting for the next rung right now which I think is on the way because I kind of don't I don't give a crap anymore as much as <laughs> and I think I'm also a much better actor than I used to be and I'm a character actress who was in a pretty lady body and that can be really limiting hopefully I'll get more decrepit and then I'll work more <laughs> Or, yes. you know, prosthetics, something. I really don't know what's next. So that's, I think, what I'm, I'm babbling and saying. <laughs> so cool. I love it. So I'd love to hear how you got into acting in the first place. You know, it's interesting. My dad was a, a classical musician. And so my house always was full of the arts and music. Um, but my big brother and big sister both kind of went the way of finding a job where you could have a regular career and some benefits because it's scary to be in the arts sometimes. You just don't know where, if it's just gonna spit you out on the road and then you're you know, living in a cardboard box. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to be a doctor. I was very smart. I went to school where my boyfriend was going. Um, we were both gonna be fancy doctors uh, and make lots of money. And then he turned out to be not a very good boyfriend <laughs> so we broke up and then I was like do I really want to be a doctor and right around the same time my mom got very ill so I was in the ICU a lot with my very you know we weren't sure if she was going to make it or not at the time and I had a heart to heart with myself where I thought am I too emotional to be a doctor will I be upset all the time? Because I was so upset, even looking at people I didn't know in the ICU who looked deathly ill and their family is crying. And I just thought, am I too much of a sensitive person to do this? And what did I always want to do? Well, as a kid, I did plays at the local youth theater. I never did them in school like a lot of people did. I did them, I took classes because that interested me. Um, and I really loved it, but I was too scared to pursue it. And then what happened in college when I was getting this biology and English degree, I happened to be at a school that had a really well-reputed theater program, SMU, and they didn't take very many people into it. You had to do the whole audition and do your, and sing, which I was terrified to do. Um, but I told myself after this breakup, I would audition to transfer into the theater department. Um, and if I got in, I would take it as a sign that maybe I could do this. I wanted to finish my biology and English degrees because I'd already put in so much effort there and I wasn't totally sure that I would be an actor, but I got into that program, which was a, an extremely 
in many ways brutal program because they would cut like half the students after every year. They would be like, we think you're better suited to be a director or not be in this high powered program. Um, And I think because I had come from other departments, I sort of had this this stink around me of like, you should probably go be a doctor because this other lifestyle is hard. But I don't know why I was so determined to prove them wrong. And I made it through the whole program without being cut. And I graduated from SMU with three degrees. Wow. And then I was stuck in Texas going, now what do I do? Because you don't have any, you know, if you go to Juilliard or NYU, you're right where the showbiz is and you make connections while you're go- in school. Um, and I didn't have that. So I kind of moved to New York blind without having a friend anywhere, you know, and I went to one of those horrible roommate finders places and got stuck with insane roommates <laughs> in places I never should have lived. Um, but I didn't know any better. If, if I did it now, I'd be like, hell no, I'm not doing that, you know, but I just kind of flew by the seat of my pants, um, and then I started working in regional theater and then I booked a national tour with the acting company. And then I saved up enough money to do uh, the big move to LA so I could do TV and film. If I was going to do regional theater forever, I was probably going to end up being broke. <laughs> um, and also I really wanted to try my hand at film and TV because it scared me. You know, my whole life has also been governed by doing things that I'm scared of after that initial decision occurred so I'd love to hear what the first thing you do when you get an audition is um you know first the first thing I do is look at the sides I kind of assess how much of a workload it's going to be now the pandemic has changed everything I've had to get a backdrop and learn how to light myself <laughs> and do stuff that terrifies me because I am yeah. not technically savvy at all Um, so I've spent the first year of the pandemic freaking out about having to be my own, you know, DP and lighter and everything. Uh, and then now I think I've settled into where I think my product looks good enough that it's acceptable. It may not be like, I know people who are so good at editing and lighting and all that stuff. That's not me. I just, I'm an actor. So I will look at the sides. I will determine how difficult and complex they are. If it's easy. Um, I'll just, I start learning the lines right away. Um, I do tend to go to be off book, especially now in the self-tape world. In the olden times before self-taping, you could get away with holding the script and not always being eyes up. But when the camera really gets everything and there nobody is in the room to see what a good actor you are, what a charming human being you are. So, uh, I work on getting off book. And also I've been doing this long enough that I feel that all the things fall into place just because your actor self knows what's happening here, what is on camera, what is happening internally. The decisions I make about character or through line happen to be very organic at this point. And if I'm lucky enough to talk to the director or somebody creative on the other side of the you know, camera, they can help me understand where I might be missing the boat. But for the most part, you kind of have to go with your guts because 
Otherwise you might look like you're trying too hard or you're doing something that's not organic or is a little over the top. Sometimes that's really what I miss about the self tapes is I love the interaction between a director and a producer and the actor, because we don't always know if this scientist is a boring one or she's so excited about her new experiment, she's exploding with joy. It's not always apparent from the writing. And sometimes they don't even know what they want. You know, you can chat with them and say, well, I saw it like this, but maybe this would be more like what you're looking for. You know, Mark Rylance, who was an actor I really love, I think I saw an interview with him where he said, I just say the lines over and over and over and over and over and over. Because the more you say them, it's like doing theater. They become part of you. Um, and you don't have to think hard about trying anything with them. You just say them. Uh, and that's where my best work comes out. It's, it's like doing theater for... You know, I did Shakespeare for a year and a half on the road. By the time you got to the six month mark, you're not even thinking about the lines. You're just living there in them. And that's the truest joy to me of what can happen with acting is where your uh, mechanic self is checked out having popcorn in the back of your brain. And this organic person that you are can just be there. And it's so much fun. I love what you said. So um, going back to even before you get the audition, or I guess if you're doing it or you're going to it, whatever, do you have any sort of audition superstitions? Because you have booked so many things. <laughs> you know, I don't really. I mean, I probably should. I might book more <laughs> stuff if I did. I, I mean, I think I really enjoy putting together a look for the character, even if it's very basic, because that's the fun part for me. Like, I love period stuff. I love when I have to pull out my 40s dress or have to do my hair differently because that's part of the fun. Now, some people might think that's trying too hard and, you know, are like, don't dress like a doctor. Well, I don't put a stethoscope around my neck or anything, you know. I might just wear a white sweater so it looks like I have a lab coat on, but really thinking of what this person looks like before is part of the fun. Um, I do use props sometimes to a tiny extent uh, on self tapes, but I don't really have any superstitions. Um, there were certain actresses, if I was going into a waiting room, I would avoid because I knew <laughs> that they were not nice people and really usually were trying to psych people out. I always found my crew of lady friends who would babble with me about what's going on in our lives. And I truly miss that too, the ladies in the trenches. We were less competition and more friends. Although, of course, if someone booked everything, I would not be happy about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I get it. I um, get but it. seriously, there, I, no superstitions. No worries. I think what you said about the dressing to suggest is great. Do you have any audition like biggest fails to start with? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I always remember the ones where really weird stuff happened. Yeah, like those are the best. When <laughs> I was, it was for a lawyer show and I had a really bad hangnail on my <laughs> fingernail. Yeah. And I bit it off while I was waiting because I was nervous. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I hit a vein or something. Oh, so no. I'm like bleeding down my oh arm. Oh, my gosh. 
And I'm like, shit, about to go in and there's blood running down my arm. I don't know what I did. And then I was like called in with all this blood running down my arm. And I was, I was enough of a baby in my career that I didn't feel like I could go, you guys, I caught myself. Can I have a moment to go? I was too scared to do that. So I just hid it behind my script. I kept... You know, I was holding this and making sure they wouldn't see my arm. And I'm sure my performance was awful. I did not book the job. And that sort of reminded me to stop chewing my cuticles before, you know, an audition. I had another one. It wasn't really my fault, but I was auditioning for a pilot. And it was on one of the lots. And right before I was starting, and I was excited because pilots are lots of money and you know, possibility of getting a series. Somebody who was in the across the table watching me went, oh, they're at it again and ran to the window. And then suddenly everyone's up and running to the window just before I start my audition. And I was like, I want to know what's happening. So I went to the window and I think it was Taya Leone and David Duchovny making out in the parking lot. Oh, my God. And apparently they did that a lot. You know, I might have the wrong names, might have the wrong names. I don't know if it was David Duchovny at the time, but somebody was having some public display of affection and everybody was really excited about it. And that was in the middle of my audition. And that was like, <laughs> after that, I just kind of wanted to leave and go yeah. home. There, there was, it was hard to beat that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with whatever <laughs> I did, playing yeah. a nice wife on a sitcom. So. No, absolutely. <laughs> They're at it again. That's, that's yeah. terrible. I love it. So to balance that out, because we have to, um, do you have any biggest successful auditions that like really stick out in your head? Well, you know, one of the ones that it looked like it might be, I went to one for Weeds, uh, that show, and it was to play Mary Louise Parker's sister. Sometimes I remind people of her and I thought, oh, this is cool. And then I got to the waiting room and it was all people who had had television series. It was all famous people, people oh whose gosh. names you would recognize. And in my head, I was like, I'm not going to get this part. <laughs> you know, this because it's not always about ability. It's about your name and the level to which you have risen with your name. And so in a weird way, that took the pressure off me to try and get the job. And that is a, was a big lesson to me. It was a great bunch of scenes. I went in, I did some stuff I didn't even know I was gonna do in the audition that was really weird and fully weeds appropriate because that yeah. show got pretty weird. And then after I was done, the room got really quiet and the casting director went, that was awesome. And wow. And then I said something like, just another really fun role on weeds, because I had auditioned <laughs> for them before. And I left and I felt like, hey, I did my I did yes. my job. But I got a call later that day from my manager. They ended up hiring a celebrity to play this part, but they loved what you did so much. They want to know if you'll come back for this recurring role that happens later. They don't have a script yet. And I was like, uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I got one of the weirdest roles I've ever played on television on <laughs> for auditioning for something else when I pretty much had gone, you know, I just have a good time. And it's a big lesson to me that I should still be listening to in my head every time I have an audition, frankly, and especially ones that I really want. 
Me too. That's awesome. That's so crazy. Like looking around a waiting room and everyone's like, like, oh my gosh, yeah, all these people Jay are famous. Melrose, I mean, they weren't like movie star yeah. level, but, but they they're were recognizable. TV stars. They yeah, were recognizable TV stars. And then there was me, and I was the only one who wasn't, which was such a. And I love this casting director for throwing me in the mix. You know, yeah. she was wonderful. I don't That's know where great. she is. I want her to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Bring her back, retired, please. So. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so staying on the story train, because we love them. Um, yeah. Do you have any on-set funny stories you'd like to share with people? Probably the best on-set weird thing is that one of my earliest sitcoms was Taya Leone's sh first show, where she played a tabloid photographer. And I auditioned, I remember Kathy Griffin, she was ahead of me in line for it. And it was three lines. So she was like, I don't want to audition for three. She was not happy about it. And I, at this point, was in a different place. And I was like, I'll, I'll take the three lines, <laughs> you know, but it didn't say in the script, you're just supposed to be helping a patron at a restaurant with his fly, which was stuck when he came out of the bathroom, which is a weird, silly thing. Well, it turns out that the patron is Tom Hanks. Oh. And I booked it. Oh. Uh, so when I get to the set, he, he had just done Forrest Gump. He wasn't doing TV anymore. He was huge. And um, the audience went bananas because it, sitcoms have live audiences. So I think that was probably the most weirdly outrageous you know, where suddenly he comes out of the lavatory in this restaurant set and I'm just <laughs> a waitress outfit and the audience goes bananas for like <laughs> two minutes, just yeah. goes bananas. And then I have to play with his fly on his pants <laughs> on my knees, you know? So <laughs> it was, it was meant to be suggestive, but it was mostly just really funny and silly. And one of my first, I think it was my first sitcom job. So you know, I had been wanting to break into that because I do think I'm kind of hilarious. And you can get stuck in Hollywood just playing sad ladies who cry. And then you're like, but you know what? I went to school so I could do all the things and play all the characters. And, you know, it takes a long time to get the, the, the doors to open so that you can be allowed to do funny and, and you know, drama and comedy. Totally. So um, with the drama and comedy stuff, specifically sitcoms, because we don't hear a lot about that on here, how do you audition differently between a sitcom versus something else? That's a very good question. I mean, and now I will bring it up again. We are on self-tape mode. I just had one this week where they asked for you to shoot from the waist up because you will be seen by the audience and the cameras your whole body will be seen sometimes, which is not the case on a lot of dramas. You hardly notice people have life below the waist in a drama. So that's one of the, you know, the crucial differences is that it's a full body thing. That's where being a theater actor comes in handy. I mean, I didn't have much of a shock. When I shot my first drama, which was Star Trek, I was terrified because I'd never done something that focused and small. If you watch my first appearance on TV, you can see that I'm really trying really hard not to move my face. <laughs> to just look where I'm supposed to look and not move at all. Like I'm a little wooden if I don't say so myself. Um, 
But then sitcoms were easy because it's like doing a play. You have an audience and you get to do more than one take. It's not like a play where if you screw up a line, the audience takes that home with them because um, they can shoot it as much as they want or have time to do if, it, if something doesn't work. Um, so it's really like, I would say theater training comes in handy and remembering that your whole body can be viewed. You can't mess with the lines too much. I feel like when comedy writers sit down and they craft a joke, they want you to say the joke the way it's written. You might get to play with it later or come up with a button to a scene where there isn't one, but you can't do a lot of ad-libbing with the sitcom because they also have a limited amount of time to work with. So interesting. That sounds like yeah. so much fun. It's a lot of fun, but there's a lot more, I think, pressure on sitcoms because it has to be funny. You know, it has to be funny <laughs> or you miss the mark. Absolutely. Are there any major things that you had to overcome as an actor? And you don't have to answer this question. No, no, I actually don't mind answering at all. I think I always had, when I was young, problems with my weight. So when I came out to LA, everybody was size zero. Yeah. So I was in the gym all the time. I was, you know, eating rice cakes and Diet Coke. Uh, which was not to my betterment, really. Uh, I'm just really glad that women can be more normal size now. I mean, a lot of them aren't still. Hopefully there's a movement towards having a normal sized females play all kinds of things. Um, but at the time I felt like I was overweight most of the time. Uh, I also stuttered a little bit when I was nervous. Uh, which doesn't help. So like when reading sides, I would flub them a lot. In fact, you know, sometimes I wish I could go back and redo all those years where I had no self-esteem because I thought I was chubby because, you know, you look now and women got cast and then lost the weight later and set up that standard because they had money, they could get a trainer yeah. that everyone should be really you know, beautifully aquiline in every possible way. Uh, so I would think those are the biggest things. I remember going to see an agent in New York and I really wanted her to sign me. And she sat me down and she gave me a list of 10 things I should do if I wanted to work on TV. Now, keep in mind that TV in New York at the time was mostly soaps. So there was a beauty factor. And um, she said, I should lose 15 pounds. I should get a nose job. I should get a leather mini skirt. <laughs> I can't even, you know, get my colors done and get my um, mani-pedi because I was sort of like, I was a theater rat, you know, or my hair and braids a lot. I didn't pluck my eyebrows, you know, I, it, it was not my world, the world of beauty. So mm. when I heard this long list, especially possibly getting my nose done I was like I don't want to do any of this yeah <laughs> so that was something where I think I wish I had come to Hollywood with less of a beauty chip on my shoulder yeah and more just working on my craft and not being worried about I still don't know how to do my hair and makeup very well. <laughs> you know when I get when I get a good makeup hair person on set, I'm like, can, can you live with me? Because yeah. my hair has like 47 cowlicks <laughs> and I don't really know how to make it do anything. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's, that's why 
some people who are groomed to be beautiful and think of themselves as sexual creatures and stuff do very well out here because they don't have to convince themselves of that, you know? And I just wasn't there when I got out here. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. I love okay, everything you said. I can completely relate. <laughs> I learned how to do winged eyeliner and did nothing else. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, seriously. that's something. No, I know. And I'm very proud of it. <laughs> and, and isn't but, it yeah. sad, though? To me, I still feel like as an actress, it's a boys club still. It's it's There's lots of good talk about fixing that, but it really hasn't changed that much. It just hasn't. Absolutely. Um, and I hope to see the day where I start to see women doing all the jobs on and off camera that they are really not relegated to doing. Yeah. It really gets scary after 40. I think they, uh, there was a job study done over the last two years of how work has shifted in Screen Actors Guild and women over 40 had a 70% drop in work. No other group had that. I mean, that's why I produce things on my own when I get really frustrated. I make a lot of comedy stuff for women that is female centric. It's, I would love to do that, but you find out later that you kind of need to know people with lots of money or have it, you know? So that's something I really want to do is uh, create content that's funny women. I love that. My favorite movie. And I always say this, everyone who asks what my favorite movie is, is Bridesmaids forever because of exactly what you just said. Yeah, because ladies <laughs> so getting good. to let it all hang out. Absolutely. Um, it's like the female version of Grown Ups, which got like eight sequels. And But you know what else I'd like to see is more of the dramas where the, the, the genius is the woman, you know, yes. where the tortured genius is a lady. I, don't, I can't think of too many. I mean, Jodie Foster gets to do stuff kind of like that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's much more the Russell Crowe and those kind of guys who get to do that stuff. And there are some incredibly smart women actors who don't even get the time of day. You know, I, I, my other issue is that we don't respect really good American actors. You know, we just hire a Brit because we know them and we know they're good. Uh, But there are actors coming out of theater programs here and other training that are wonderful who just can't get through the door. And that's, that's a tragedy, I think. And the Meryl Streep's aren't being found anymore. I don't think. Yeah, no, you're right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that stuff because it's like absolutely welcome. I didn't know about asking that question, but I also I really wanted to ask you that question specifically because you have so many credits. And I think that a lot of the time people with that many credits and have worked with so many amazing people and have the career that everyone really wants don't feel human like like it's like you are an untouchable awesome thing that I I can't I would love to be and know but I can't reach it so I think hearing about things like that make people feel less look there are people who become actors because they want to be famous yeah rich and famous and I you're you may not get a person from that you know you, you may not get an interview where you get to hear much except the, the hot sell kind of pitch thing yeah but I became an actor because I had to. Mm-hmm. You have to be partly loony to do it, <laughs> you just do. And part of me just always wanted to do it. And there are 
been times in my life where I'm like, I should have done something else. I could have security. I could have health care. You know, why did I do this to myself? And I'm not getting any younger. But then I have met so many lovely people. I have worked on things I'm very proud of. And, you know, and, I, and you can work to your old bat if, if you stick with the game. So, you know, I just, my biggest advice to young actors is you have to realize that you have to be a little loopy to stick in it, stay with it for a long time. I also say, if you have something you can do to make money that you love, do that too, because it's the people who are desperate for cash who end up selling out their career or doing something that they don't really want to be doing. So if you don't have your livelihood always hooked into acting, um, which I cannot say I did all the time. I did have survival jobs, but mostly I just made money acting. And then some years I just had to make do with a lot less money. You just have to. Um, it was always health insurance that I worried about because it's this, this country needs a, a fix where that is concerned. Um, but if you are persistent and you know you have to do this, then do it. If you think there's something else you can do that would make you equally as happy, do that. Because unless you are very, very lucky out the door, it is about persistence. Sometimes it's about piles of rejections that you have to learn how to monitor in your head so they don't get so uh, overwhelming, you know? And it's just, it's delightful and it's awful at the same time, um, but when it works and when the chemistry works and the universe just goes plop, here's this thing you get to do, you're like, wow, this is great. And when you meet your heroes and they're actually cool, yeah, that's great. When you meet your heroes and they're awful, you're like, oh, that's, that's that sucks. Not great. <laughs> but I'll just try to forget that when I go home, you know? Yes, that's why I do this, I think meeting people like you are is is so incredible and um is there a biggest mistake or misconception that you see actors you coach making yes I think that especially with young people not so much people who just you know need help uh shaping a scene but young people want to try to act at something and really it's all about you are enough if you have a lisp this part might be great for somebody who has a lisp. If, if you're shy and don't wanna make eye contact, that's okay, don't force yourself to do things that make you fall out of the relaxed zone where you can give your best performance. You know, my big thing is a lot of what, not everyone you coach is gonna become an actor. You know, they, they may just go, this is not for me, but if they walked away from a coaching session feeling better about who they are and can hear their own voice and feel good about who they are as a person and speak from their truth, that is the most important thing I can teach someone is just be with who you are and know that that's good enough. You know, you can do a Shakespeare monologue and be someone who has never read a book. <laughs> you know, yeah. it can work, but you have to come from your truth. Now that might be a little bit of an extreme example. I just pulled <laughs> out of my head, but you know, I'm just saying that people don't try to be anything other than you are. If you're vain and shallow, 
you could get make a career playing vain shallow chicks, you know, or at least start out from that point and you might learn how to become a deeper human being. It's true. Yeah. I feel like a, a very common, like almost almost every class I take, the phrase is you are enough. Yeah. Because look, every human being on this planet needs to embrace that. We would not have so much war and baloney all over the place if everyone felt that way about themselves. So if you're teaching someone to be an artist of any sort, you have to start with the fact that you're enough, not that you need someone to clap you on, you know, give you a standing ovation or a million dollar paycheck. That's not a goal to me that can supersede learning that one is enough. It just can't. Now, if it does, I'm sure it does actually. Um, but then are you a happy human being with a million dollars? Probably not. Are you, you know, are you someone who's going to fall prey to being an alcoholic later because you're like, I got all the stuff that I wanted and I still don't think I'm enough. That's not good. No. And I think that that's really important for everyone to remember, not just actors. Yeah, you don't want to become an a-, a famous actor who is a miserable human being. Believe me, you don't. You don't want that. Become a happy person. Enjoy your life and it will bleed into your work and you will shine. And, and I'm saying this because I didn't always do that. I mean, I had times early in my career where I walk around the park crying because I didn't get this part I wanted. Wah, wah, wah. You know, <laughs> you, you don't have a lot of perspective when you're in the rat race of this business. Why doesn't this person like me? I still have casting people who will not see me for anything. And I'm like, what did I do? Yeah. Did they just watch me on something I did that was terrible 15 years ago? And now they think I suck? You know, I don't know. But you just can't carry that around with you. You have to know I'm really good. And if they ever saw what I could do, they would think otherwise, or they would call me in for lots of things. <laughs> with someone of your career, it is nice to hear that some offices just won't see you because I think everyone has that problem. Like, why yeah. are there oh, certain yeah. offices because like that? <laughs> we are very emotional creatures. Actors. Yes. We, you know, what makes our acting work is that we are emotionally alive. And you can't help but you must never take it personally, but you will because yeah. it's hard not to. Yeah. Because it's my guts and my butt out there on stage yes. or in the audition room. And and if people go, we're never calling her in again. I'm like, whoa, what did I do? You know? <laughs> and you can sit around and beat yourself up, or you could just go like with any breakup with a guy. There are plenty of fish in the sea. Hopefully, another casting office will get that I'm kind of cool. And I'm a good person and, you know, that might matter to them, may not matter to this other office. And, you know, it also could have nothing to do with me at all. It could be that they hate my agent or they hate people with, you know, brownish, reddish hair. (laughs) You know, I don't know. You just never know. Yeah. Super informative. People need to keep that in mind. Yeah, always. I mean, it's hard not to, though. (laughs) It is hard not to take it personally. And I do. I, I still cry, but I don't walk around the park sobbing anymore. I just kind of go, oh, wow, I really wanted that. That hurts. On to the next. Or why can't I get seen for the show I'm perfect for? But you you can't. It's It's a big old world. And if you focus on the things that aren't happening, you're not really seeing the things that are. I have that sometimes. And then I'm like, oh, I would have been so great for that part. Let me go interview them. <laughs> the person who got it and I'm like "Ah!" did you learn anything when you did that 
I do, yes. I'm always what do you like learn? I actually have an interview with someone tomorrow who is in Sex Lives of College Girls, which I am freaking perfect for, but I didn't yeah. get called in for, even though I told my manager a million times to target it. Um but so, we'll so how are you going to use this interview so that you can feel better about the process? I try to look at it in a compassionate kind of way where it's like it was her time, not yeah. mine yet. Um, I also oh. think by interviewing her, I get to kind of humanize her also like she's not untouchable thing like she's a human. No, like none you. of us are bad, yeah. you know. <laughs> And, and yes. I have to tell you, because I've been doing this for 30 years, some of the ladies I sat in rooms with for smaller roles are now big stars, like huge, huge. And they probably would not remember me at all from those rooms where we sat week after week vying for the same guest star. But, you know, sometimes, and it's taken me a long time to just get to the point where good for them. I hope they do good things with their fame and their fortune, because that's what I would like to do. I would like to help the world. I'd like to help the female voice in show business. Um, so I'm hoping these women are doing that. Uh, but it still hurts sometimes. I'm still like, what would it be like to have so much money that I could go visit my mom whenever I wanted to or whatever, you know, it's, it's always going to it's always going to be a good and a bad thing. But the more mature you get, the more you can put it aside and go, this is not your life. This is their life. They got a great thing and that's cool for them. Doesn't mean that it's not going to happen for you or what you've been doing isn't valid. Um, but I'll probably have to listen to this podcast later and hear myself tell myself that. <laughs> you know, it's much easier said than done some days. You and me both. I'm going to listen to the part where I'm like, I approach it with compassion while I'm fuming yes. and, and there's smoke coming out my ears. But yes. But also, <laughs> I mean, once you establish that this uh, actress is a normal human person, I think that's really important. We all are. It's not, and she might be awful. You don't know till you get talking to her. <laughs> you're you know? right. You're Hopefully right. she won't be. So it'll be a fun interview. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, you're right. <laughs> we all, we all, we're all people with our flaws and foibles. Totally. And I think showing two actors of different ages and different places in their career may help people see that 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 you still always need to cope with that because I'm sure JLo is a little jealous of someone too somewhere. Well, I don't know about her. But she's pretty amazing, but yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the ways people get to where JLo is is they they are much better at processing that jealousy or feeling less than than other people, and they're very strong in knowing who they are which just comes back to what I was saying before. It took me a long time to get to the point where I go, these are my strengths and these are my weaknesses. Um, and this is what I enjoy and this is what I don't enjoy. Because uh, I got to the point, for instance, where playing any more crying moms in interrogation rooms on <laughs> cop shows, I was like, please just put a bullet in my head. <laughs> it's, I'm much, I'm much more about layering comedy underneath stuff bring out the pathos that interests me so much I do that on stage a ton where um in order to get pull people in 
so that they're listening, you use comedy, but then you go, here's my soul and it's broken just like yours, you know? Uh, that to me is what real drama is about. I, I just really, I care a lot about my craft that I don't like when I see really bad acting getting rewarded just because someone is incredibly beautiful or famous or a TikTok star or whatever. I'm like, no, don't do that. Because then people are going to stop knowing what's good, you know? And I think that's why Brits come in here and get a lot of iconic American roles because they value their actors in the UK. They subsidize them. They train them well. And it's not as big as the US. So, you know, we're all spread out and finding the, the Judy Denches of the US is hard to do. But I feel like we have to make an effort to elevate the talented folks we have because we're just gonna start being the providers of perfectly symmetrical hot chicks and perfectly symmetrical hot guys. And that's boring. This <laughs> is really boring. I completely uh, agree. And, it, and, and that's what worries me. I don't want my craft to die because we've just turned it into a two-dimensional TikTok show, even though I know TikTok's fun and everybody <laughs> Yeah, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> I should be on TikTok, I know, but I'm not. You I mean, should. I am sort of, but not really. Um, <laughs> but, you know, social media has made everyone an actor and everyone a performer. And that's a good thing. And a bad thing. No, I mean, you're right. I love Bo Burnham because his show Inside on Netflix, he really is examining how social media is messing us up, you know, and and uh, keeping people from connecting, I think. And that's why I say always to everyone, do theater first, or at least do some and see if you like it, because there's nothing like it, and it takes a lot of skill to do theater you have to really do the moment to moment stuff i love it thank you so much You're so welcome. um the last question and everyone i always ask everyone this one last um you may have touched on it a little bit or even answered it but um what would you have told yourself when you were starting out i would have told myself that i was attractive and fine the way i was and that life goes by so quickly. Don't hang around in anguish and pain about show business. Um, and you know, the thing I have done is hold on to my friends. When I meet someone that I click with in a play or even on TV, but it's a lot harder because TV's fast. You just, you hold on to those loved ones as tight as you can. Um, I, like one of the first plays I did under an equity contract, one of the actresses in the show with me is still one of my best friends, you know, and she doesn't even live in LA, she lives in New Jersey. Um, but it's about people. It's about people and trying to find your happiness and not connect it to an ego issue or a money issue. It's really hard to do in this business because you will work more, the more famous you get, you'll get paid more, you know, so it is kind of all hooked up into your guts. I want to work. So what do I need? I need to be a name. That's really not what acting is supposed to be about being a name first so you can get the work that you love, you know, and I think that's 
basically what I, a very long winded thing I would tell myself, <laughs> you know, and I'm just looking for that home on a TV show or a movie set always. And, you know, the dream to me would be to be cast as a series regular in a group of lovely people or start working with a troupe of actors who do movies together that just really dig each other and have a really, you know, kind of like this second city Christopher Guest crowd that just got to play together and have fun, but make really cool stuff. It doesn't have to be comedy. I just really want to be in a healthy, loving, creative relationship with a bunch of people. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You are welcome. You are, you are very charming. So are you. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to give the podcast a rate on whatever platform you're listening on. And as always, you can email us at dearactorpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at dearactorpodcast. I'll see you next week with our next guest.